Access on Air podcast, a podcast made for and by young journalists, creators, and activists. My name is Louis Rua. I'm 21 years old, and I am a filmmaker. Hi, my name is Julie Sidley. I'm 17 years old, and I'm a local activist. Hi, my name is Romeo Morales. I'm 22 years old, and I'm a music educator. Hi, my name is Melissa Franco, and I am an artist. Right, and today we decided to do something a little bit different. Um, since we're quarantined, I thought it'd be a good idea if we all watched the same movie and discussed it on the podcast. Uh, we settled on the movie Snowpiercer because it's sort of like post-apocalyptic, similar to the world we're living in today. Um, if you uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you watch it before listening to this podcast because we will be discussing the plot and characters and various things that will have that will contain spoilers. Um, so. Those, now that those people have left, um, the basic plot of the movie uh, is the world tried to fix climate change by putting a chemical into the atmosphere, and they ended up accidentally freezing the entire Earth. Uh, a guy named Wilford had somewhat foreseen this happening, uh, and so he built a train that goes around the entire Earth and keeps the passengers on board from freezing to death. Um, those On this train, the train cars are broken up by class, uh, with the poorest individuals in the last car. And the rich, well, Wilford being the richest individual uh, in the first car. Um, and then in the last car, that's where we meet our hero, sort of, uh, Curtis, and the movie unfolds from there. Um, so, first of all, did you guys like the movie? I personally, it's one of my favorite movies, um, but I'm curious if you got what you guys thought and if you liked it. Mm, solid nine out of ten, I think. Nine out of ten? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Go ahead, Julia. Oh, I was just going to say, I definitely really liked it. I thought it was a super good movie, and I'm really glad we picked this one. Yes, I liked it, too. I think it's very appropriate for this time. And, um, yeah, just the movie. The movie itself was really good. Cool. So um, this movie was directed by uh, Bong Joon-ho, who a lot of people know for his work on Parasite. Uh, He directed that um, and won an Academy Award. Um, now, Parasite is a, uh, is, the entire movie is very clearly about class, um, and this movie similarly is, has a lot to do with class in the, in the form where they're literally broken up into separate areas. There's the lower class, the middle class, and the upper class. Um, so I just think, I think it's really interesting, and, and it's, it makes me curious about um, how he thinks, how Bong Joon-ho reflects the, the way that class is in the real world. And he reflects that back into his movies. Um, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on that, on uh, on what a lot of these things are are meant to be in reference to in, in the real world, in a real society, uh, specifically in this movie. Because in Parasite, it's a lot more clear and it's in a real world setting, as this is like a very apocalyptic and a uh, little less realistic setting, I guess. I was going to say, um, from looking at his roster of movies that he's put out, a lot of them are very like fantasy, horror, but they all have to do with this underlying tone of like mysticism, or in this case with like Parasite and Snowpiercer, classism and things that are clashing within like industrialists and other other opportunities that people create and then it becomes a downfall. Uh, I feel like one of the movies that I did see that I never even knew was a was a, a Bong Joon-ho movie, was a Okja. I never, re- I, forget, I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. Okja, it's like hard to, I can't, it's like O-K-J-A. But in general, if you've seen like uh, Gone with, like Gone with the Wind, or not Gone with the Wind, uh, Dr- Spirited Away, 
I don't know how okay. I got those two mixed together. <laughs> those are totally completely different. But uh, it reminded that essence of Spirited Away. And then with this movie, Snowpiercer in particular, reminded me a lot of um, The Day After Tomorrow, kind of the same concept, mm-hmm. but different, uh, a different whole like uh, genre you're kind of bringing up. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. Um, yeah, for me, one of the things that really stuck out to me, um, that was in reference to the real world, uh, was all, all the like religious references. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily like, like literal, like, oh, this, like, there's no like crosses or anything, nothing that's like imagery that really shows religion, but a lot more like, um, uh, like they hail, uh, Wilford as like a god. Um, and it's almost like a cult. Like there's that one scene with all the kids where uh, they're all chanting and stuff uh, to what the teacher says. <laughs> um, and uh, and that that scene was one of the most like unsettling scenes for me um, with all these all these little kids that were just chanting like. And what happens if the train stops? We all freeze and die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like such like a terrifying image um, that I feel like was really reminiscent of like religious cults and and cultists that would would chant things like that um obviously not that exact thing but um and then also uh curtis he's sort of like hailed as like a messiah for or like the messiah for for the people in the back car um and uh like there there's uh, a lot of scenes where like people look at him almost like a like a godly figure uh, but we very quickly realize that's not actually the case, that he's not a godly figure. He's just another person. Um, but all these people in the back car are, like, telling, like, you need to lead us. You need to be our leader. You need to be our messiah, essentially. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I was curious if, if you guys had, saw any other references or, or had any thoughts on that. Um, one other thing that just kind of goes off of that and the way in which, like, Wilford was kind of recognized by all as, like, a god, and it was something that really struck me was the fact that a lot of people had never even seen him mm-hmm. and like most people would go their whole lives without like seeing or knowing this man yet they seemed to like all care about him deeply and personally and just like have so much investment in his life and saying that like without him no life would be able to continue and it was just definitely chilling the scene you said with the children the way like they were talking about this man like you said, was super reminiscent of like religious cults. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really creepy. And then on top of that, to make it even worse, the the um, teacher ends up pulling out a gun and shooting at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like oh my god! <laughs> After all that, that kind of just like the singing and stuff, just boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I guess that kind of uh, moves on to the next topic. Um, this movie is really really good at building tension. Yes. Um, and I think that scene actually in particular uh shows it really well because it has all it has this really creepy imagery of all these kids like chanting things and and acting like they're in a religious cult uh and and clearly they don't really understand what they're talking about. Um and then and then it's just it just keeps building up and building up and like the music starts to swell up and everything and it's it gets really really uncomfortable and you can tell it's building up to something but you don't know what and then the shootout starts. <laughs> um and then and it just flows so well and it just like it's just scary almost you know um one of uh one of the other 
parts that I thought built tension really well, really well was uh, in the very, not the very beginning, but towards the beginning when they first decide to start their revolution, um, they are going through, uh, uh, they're um, setting up all their stuff, but you, they're like unsure of whether or not they should go for it, you know? And then, uh, and then multiple times while Curtis and um, uh, what's his name? Edgar. Uh, Edgar. Edgar, yeah. When Curtis and Edgar are walking up and down the cart, um, they all the people are asking them, is it time? Is it time? Like, are we going to do it? Is it time? Is it time? And that whole scene, I was just like getting goosebumps because it's like, like, obviously they probably are going to do it for the sake of the plot, but it was like the whole time you're just like, oh God, oh God. And it really like, it builds up to show that this is like a really big decision for them. You know, it's not, it's not a small thing that happens all the time. It's like, this is like a once in a lifetime thing, you know? And one other thing about that is I definitely found myself rethinking that scene at the very end of the movie when we found out that this was not, like, necessarily premeditated, but that Wilford and others had, like, predicted this was going to happen and basically allowed for it to get to the point that it did. So, like, the tension that everyone was feeling and everything that led up to this was entirely anticipated by someone who had never even been back there. I don't know. That was definitely super interesting. And then one other time that I felt the tension build was right before they were about to walk onto the Battle of the Train when everyone knew there were people behind the door. But, like, the way the music would just kind of swell and then at the end all you could hear was, like, Curtis breathing. It was definitely a lot of tension built up. Yeah, it's like chills. It's it's almost like... Yeah. It's, it's not quite a horror movie, but it's almost a horror movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, definitely. But yeah, it like, and like the, that, I, if I think, if I'm correct on the scene that you're talking about, um, you're talking about the scene with uh, all the axes and everything, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I was thinking so about when they open that the door too. and you see those guys for the first time, <laughs> that's like, mm-hmm. like nightmares, you know? And then they put on this like mask. Yeah. Oh God. Cause oh, they, yeah. they look like executioners. It's yeah. like terrifying. It's like yeah. the, the imagery in this movie really like goes to goes to show how much you can how much you can tell the audience without actually saying anything you know what i mean because at the second that they open that door and you see the way those guys are dressed you know a lot of people are about to die yeah (laughs) yeah and then it's it's followed up with the thing the line where it's like it's estimated that 72 percent of you will die or something Mm -hmm. like that Uh, Mm -hmm. but then they end up getting through uh so this this brings up another point um what do you guys think of curtis as a character uh did you like him did you do you think he was developed well i personally think he's a great character but i'm curious what you guys think so i i want to say that when he has the option to go and save his friend edgar and he also has the option to go and proceed to the next cart and maybe kill the or at least like i don't think he would have killed her but he wanted to injure like the the one lady who is supposed to lead them to the very front um like i don't think he's bad for letting his friend die and this is controversial because like we know that edgar would have said go like we know that he would have been like hey like save our people it's not about me this is a bigger issue like i think he was just doing the right thing like and he did because he got to the front and like yeah i don't think he's yeah. a, i don't think he's a bad hero i think he really 
was a true hero because he had to make a really hard decision and like that's heroic yeah exactly i agree um so that scene in particular i i really i like that you pointed out that edgar probably would have uh said the same thing because you can kind of see it when uh when he when he edgar sees the decision that curtis makes he kind of like closes his eyes and just accepts it you know Mm -hmm. Uh, as Mm -hmm. opposed to like like freaking out or or being like how could you or something like that he's kind of just like okay uh like i understand you know um but also uh i i really like that scene in particular because right before curtis lets edgar die uh you see the the lady that he's trying to capture um she lets one of her generals die right before that um Mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting because the movie kind of goes in in this sense of like um uh, like you see the lady let her general die to establish that she is the bad guy, that she is the evil character because only evil people would do that. And then immediately afterwards, the hero does the exact same thing because he has to. Um, and I just, I thought that was really interesting in the way that they set that up. Uh, because when, when I watched it, I was like, I was like, okay, cool. They're establishing that that lady is evil and that she's the bad guy. And then immediately afterwards, you're like, oh, our hero is doing that. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, and I also agree that he was super well developed, and I thought it was super powerful near the end of the film when they were talking, when he was basically telling his story and kind of describing the reason he was so connected to Edgar. I feel like that really gave him, like, a depth that was like, this guy did a lot of bad things, but that doesn't make him less of a hero, if that makes sense, and, like kind of gives him more justification for why he does the things that he does. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I also, the, the only criticism I have of this movie is I wish that, because there's that, obviously the really, um, like, sort of poetic imagery of him. Uh, well, first he he's talking to Wilford and he said, he's talking about how he just couldn't cut off his arm, he couldn't do it. Um, and then in the end, he, uh, he ends up uh, getting his arm cut off to save a child. Um, and, uh, and it, the only criticism I have about that, because it's super powerful, the only criticism I have is that I wish that he had mentioned the arm thing earlier in the movie so that it would have it would have come full circle. You know what I mean? Uh, rather than it being mm-hmm. like, hey, I, this is part of my character development. Oh, OK, now I'm going to finish that character development. Um, I wish that it had I wish that it happened earlier in the movie. So it stuck with us in our minds the whole time. And then at the end, we're like, oh, he's doing the thing. You know? <laughs> yeah 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 that's uh, true but and it was still a super powerful scene though uh yeah um so romeo do you want to talk about your uh willy wonka uh in the charlie charlie and the chocolate factory thing so come to find out i'm not the only person that thinks this there's actually a youtube video that goes way more in depth than i ever could it's only like 10 minutes but it fully explains the exact same thing that I was talking about, how it's just like the full thing of the enclosed ecosystem of the train, Um, especially as Julia was even confirming it, like, you know, like Wilford was this dude that no one knew, no one seen him, but they know that he was a great guy because of the things he invents and the things he creates. Same thing with Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. Everyone's like, no one's seen Mr. Wonka, but they know he makes some good candy. And so... um, And just that idea of, like, a dystopian world. Um, 
and the you know wealthy industrialist wants to find a successor the last person in the line is the charlie and same thing with uh <clears throat> our main antagonist throughout the whole movie with Wilford is just it just kind of cohesively sides in one hand in hand he even broke it down to you know the one the most memorable character is the violent kid where he's all like yeah blood video games and all that uh I'm drawing a blank, but the dude who's hunting uh, our homie down through the whole movie, he's uh, he's kind of the, the assassin that Wilfred has going through is trying to kill. He's really skilled with the guns, and it's just kind of like they're just a lot of older versions of each other. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I wish I would not draw blanks on the names, but just the comparison between the characters and their development and the whole plot line is just super, super engraving to have like... I don't, there's really, like, the comparison is there 100%. I'm not going to, like, spoil it and be like, this is this, this is that. But, like, the idea is the full concept really seems like he drew a lot of those ideas from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And it kind of makes sense, especially, like, the concept of the train moving throughout the whole world and encompassing everyone rather than just, you know, our society or, like, just this one part of the town. Because it's the whole world that it that's in trouble because of this disaster that they created, yeah. and going on top of uh, oh, sorry, my bad. Going on top of what Julia said of how like they kind of anticipated this to happen, it's almost like giving yourself an excuse to just fall into it. Yeah, I um, it's funny. Like the more things that you mention, the more I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that that does make sense. Um, and uh, I I. It's funny. I like the I like the idea of Bong Joon Ho, like sitting down and just being like, "I'm gonna make a grown up version of the <laughs> factory, <laughs> man, with bugs instead uh, of candy." Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, do any of you guys have anything specifically that you want to talk about uh, uh, that we haven't talked about yet? Um, we've kind of already talked about it, but I just kind of was thinking a lot about the fact that these were the only folks supposedly left in the world. Like this was the last of humanity and the way that they kind of rebuilt their own society, but they still had these hierarchical structures of like class and society and religion was really interesting to me. It felt almost as if like the writers and directors were criticizing the fact that these things were inherent in human society and that even on a small scale, like these things will exist even if not the same to a greater degree and everything's just kind of exacerbated, exacerbated. (laughs) And yeah, that was just something I noticed throughout the whole movie. Yeah. I I agree with that. And I think to, to push that point further, um, part of it is that, the only we see everything from the people in the last cart's point of view and as they go through the only person who says this is the way that it has to be is the guy on top and they there's even a line in the movie where curtis is like uh, wilford says like this is the way that it has to be there always has to be people on the bottom and people on the top and then curtis just straight up goes that's just something the people on the top tell us so that we stay on the bottom uh, exactly and it's just it's just interesting because if i mean Obviously, I guess we'll never know because it never happens in the movie. But um, you never really know what would what would have happened had that not been the case. Had everyone just been equal, you know, or uh, yeah, or if everyone was just allowed access to the entire train. Uh, and like when you think about it, when there's only a small 
group of humanity left that feels like the perfect time for like reform and actually like making meaningful change but like it's established like the people in power the people who bought first class tickets and were rich going onto the train like 18 years ago so like if i feel like he's just kind of criticizing the fact that like the people in power will keep themselves in positions of power at any cost you know or do you think because at the end of the movie and this is just this is just an idea at the end of the movie um since the train ends up blowing up and everyone on board dies except for uh the the two the uh, the woman and the child that make it out um Mm -hmm. do you think that it's implying and that is also a result of uh of the people on the bottom making it all the way up to the top in a revolutionary uh, form. Do you think that, that he's suggesting that if things are not like that, that the entire society falls apart? Or do you think that was just like an oversight? Or do you think it means something else? (laughs) I'm not sure because I don't, I don't necessarily think it's an oversight, but I think it's just, maybe not a criticism that these things are inherent in society, but based on the ways of like how society is set up and who determines what society looks like. Mm -hmm. Because like when this new society was founded, it's clear that like there was a certain group of people that had all the power and all of the like decisions were made by people in the front cars and like maybe just necessarily what it would be like when it's people with that other perspective that just escaped. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I don't know. Um, I'm also trying to figure out. You guys remember the uh, the seven that mm-hmm. they kept referring to? Yes. Uh, yeah, the revolt. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out where that fits into this because I feel like that's relevant to this to that discussion of of whether this is a critique on society or if it's whatever whatever it's trying to say. You know, um, where do you where do you guys think that the seven fits into that? Because I feel like well, they wouldn't have mentioned it so much if it wasn't important to the movie. Yeah, I mean, um, so I I don't know I don't know what this character's name is, but he he seems to be kind of the dad of the the woman who's like psychic. She's like seventeen, oh, yeah. so he tells her like, "Look, look out at the window when everyone else is looking out." Um, in the like the little school children scene, everyone's looking at the 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 bad seven, um, and the the father he says to her that the woman in the very front like is psychic like you and so i think that that was just like a hint that they're gonna try it again like that Uh, like to me i was like oh okay i i have a feeling now that this this young girl she's going to make it out of the train i don't know what's gonna happen after that but i feel like that's why that was put in there to like Mm -hmm. let us know that she's going to make it out um yeah (laughs) that's what i thought it was for yeah yeah i can see that it could just be foreshadowing um i also definitely thought it was like another instance of kind of instilling fear within the population like the same way they would like freeze people's arms off and smash them with hammers just kind of using frozen bodies outside of the train as like something to display and be like this is what's going to happen if you don't like obey mm-hmm. wilford and live on the train and fulfill we the all role we tell you <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah that's that's a good point um i wonder what yeah 
yeah, I guess that's pretty much most of what it was, I guess. Um, just kind of like world building and, and foreshadowing for the ending. Um, which also, what did you guys think of the ending? I thought the ending was, was really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm curious what you guys thought. I thought it was a good ending. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be anything I'd change to it. Maybe like you said before, a little more character developed, just like a little extra oomph to get it, just to suck us in 100%. But I mean, I've seen it a few times already, but definitely I think uh, the ending was kind of top notch up there, especially my first time watching it. I remember when I realized that's why they were using the kid. I like, totally forgot about the kids until the end of the movie. I'm like, what? Like, so I think I think the good ending. Yeah. yeah. Which also the kid at the end of the movie, it goes hand in hand with that uh industrialization like idea because like in the industrial revolution, uh it's it was really common for kids to be used in that exact same way where they would put them in a small area that only a kid could fit into to work on machines, mm. you know? Um mm-hmm. I remember reading uh reading a book or something that was it was like a it was like a diary of someone who lived during that time. And they said it was really common to uh, to hear a scream and then see like a finger go flying across the hmm. room or something from a kid working on a machine. Uh. <laughs> and it oh it gosh. really it really reminded me of that um, how horrific that is. Uh, not to mention that that small space looked really really hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, this whole movie uh, made yeah. me have anxiety. <laughs> like it was yeah, just yeah. it was so it's cringy just, every moment. Yeah, it's super stressful. Yeah. Uh, um yeah like when uh when they figure out what those protein blocks are made out of and then tell me why that wasn't like so gross to me like that wasn't the grossest part to me for some odd reason that's true that's almost I, i guess i would put that more in the in the category of like almost like a jump scare you know Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the rest of the movie does such a good job at building suspense that like that kind of gets overshadowed um, mm-hmm. which is another thing that I like about this movie There, there's no jump scares but it's still like terrifying <laughs> yeah um, I can't think of a single like actual jump scare it's all just like this really like really well done world building that just makes you so like immersed and scared the entire time um, mm-hmm. like for for example one of the big things is to me uh, was when they first started and they, they first get into that next cart and you have no idea what's going to be on the, ne- on the other side of that door. Um, and, uh, and then it ends up being all those, those murder guys, <laughs> which were very important. Um, and, then, and, then on t- and then on top of that, the next one after that uh, is like a really peaceful um, like oh, yeah, and, then it's like, and then it's like uh, yeah. some kids and you're like, oh, and then they start being a religious cult and then you're like, oh no, and then the shooting starts. They're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, do you guys have any other like like last minute things uh, you want to mention before we wrap it up? Yeah, um, I just wanted to um, mention a quote from Wilford at the very end. He says, I believe it is easier for people to survive on this train if they have some level of mm-hmm. insanity. As Gilliam well understood, you need to maintain a proper balance of anxiety and fear and chaos and horror in order to keep life going. And if we don't have that, we need to invent it. Um, I like during a pandemic, during a like climate crisis, I feel like this quote is so real and so relevant to humanity and how we like have caused our own destruction and the destruction Mm. of like 
our earth because like if we don't have chaos we're going to invent it do you guys do you guys find that true about humans i think it's pretty true especially like uh the more technology and the more information we learn and is at a base level it kind of raises the bar and then the more and more we're willing to know the more that every the more things we know the more things that it doesn't shock us put us in that shock value and then so we invent new things or kind of like create our own like you said fear and our own toxic environment so we're like oh we have something to kind of like stay away from something that's whether it be like for some people it's just uh some people just uncertainty they is just saying you hit the nail on the head with it um definitely um yeah i I agree with that uh i think that there's um have you guys seen uh 2001 space odyssey no no okay so that movie um (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I don't i don't blame you for not seeing it i like oh, basically man. people that people that watch that movie either are obsessed with it or they hate it and i understand both yeah for real but, uh, <laughs> but uh one thing i took away from that movie i remember the first time i watched it um was the idea that humanity can't progress without destruction but um, are we really progressing <laughs> I that's debatable that's another discussion <laughs> but, um, but no I I just remember there there were all these scenes in that movie yeah. like it opens up with um it opens up with like uh with Neanderthals that are like they find this uh I won't say what they find you'll have to watch the movies but they find this thing um and then they all start getting really violent with each other um uh, and the thing that they found was a thing that is supposed to imply that they're going to progress uh, to the next stage of like evolution you know um and it's it's just really interesting because that theme continues throughout the movie um and i don't know if it's something that that i just took away from it or if it's like a common thing that people see in that movie but it just seems like it constantly was hitting on like people progressing and then destruction follows you know mm-hmm. what i mean like someone they progress forward and then your friend dies you progress forward and then something blows up you progress forward and then you have to fight somebody you know uh, which I, I guess is something that could really be said the same for this movie too because every time they progress into a new car it's always this violent altercation followed by another violent altercation followed by another violent altercation you know um until they finally get to the end and then wolford says that quote um but yeah, I think that's very apparent in this movie. I think, uh, and I think it does really relate to the real world a lot. Um, but I don't know if I think it's true. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> do you do you wish that it wasn't true, or like, like, do you really think that? How it's far just not are you true? into Death Stranding? Oh no, I'm sorry. I definitely there's aspects of it that are true. And there's like obvious there's obvious examples of like um, like imperialism. Technically, the country that is being that is uh, invading other countries is progressing, and they're doing things that are good for their country. But they're also causing destruction and famine, and for like hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions. Um, and uh, and so there's examples like that in the real world. But then there's also examples like Apple. Uh, well, I guess Apple's not a good example because they also cause a lot of destruction in other countries to make their mm-hmm. products. Um, so maybe it is true, and I would just wish it was. Yeah. But it's a pretty dark way to look at the world. <laughs> Oopsie. Um, but yeah. Anyways. Sorry. <laughs> what were you going to say? 
I was going to say, uh, Luis, how far are you into uh, uh, Death Stranding? I just got to the base of the mountains that I think. How is, far like, are you into Death Stranding? Oh, okay, never mind. I was going to say, because that concept of just like restarting and just kind of the idea of things have uh it's not like a a base in it but it like kind of it's it's also touching on like concepts that happen in video games and i feel like then maybe like the idea of having a reset because of a disaster man made or caused by the hands of us is something that we always dwell on and that's yeah. always yeah, debatable that's all right well um i think we're going to go ahead and end it there because that's slightly more positive than what i said <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's all we have time for today's podcast, uh, or that's all the time we have for today's podcast. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Access Local and visit accesslocal.tv to read more of our content. Thanks for watching or listening.